Welcome, everyone, to the Sickos Community Podcast. This is our podcast for the evening of January 23rd, 2024. I know. I don't know why I hit it so weird either. I stopped being able to read numbers for some reason. Thank you, Pit Girl, for those eyebrows. I meant that more in the sense that, like, how is it already January 23rd? Like, oh, time was a mistake. Uh, oh, I thought up. you were giving me shit about the way I hit that. I hit that you hit it here. fine. I'm just, confu- as, as ever, confused and bemused by the linear passage of time. If I seem a little down tonight, it's not because I'm actually down. It's because my door is open because I'm the only one at home tonight and my child is asleep two doors down. So he has white noise on, but I'm not going to be my usual bombastic self because I would not like to wake him up. Please. You mean he doesn't want to hear us yelling about the Chicago rat hole or whatever? No, I don't think he does. And I don't think he wants to hear me yelling about, I don't know, take your pick. I could text him and wake him up. I Hey. <laughs> So fun, fun little <laughs> look into our lives. I send these folks a message about two hours ago going, hey, if I'm not around at like 8.50 before we record, record at 9 p.m. Central, text me because I probably fell asleep on the couch. I'm really tired. And at 7.55-ish, I get big texts from Beth, like five texts and they bounce and they go off and it's crazy. And I'm like, Thanks. Except I've got an hour left, right? Whoops, time zones. Sorry. Jesus. Tapping the linear time was a mistake sign. That mm-hmm. extends to time zones. Mm-hmm. Do you guys know what the biggest change of time is across a land border? Is it Tomorrow Island? No. Oh, well, no. Okay. So, so, I mean, a land border, not, yeah. not an ocean border. Uh, it's like China and one of the like Western border countries of China, correct? China and Afghanistan. Yeah. Afghanistan has a little panhandle. It's like a three and a half hour time zone jump. Yeah, because all of China is on the same time zone, even though it very much should not be geographically. Yes. Which really, what's our excuse at that point? Right. One time, one people. Eastern Eastern time zone for everybody. Hooray! Sorry, Hawaii. I I don't think that that makes no sense, as long as you're not indexing everything to the same time. Like... I think it would be fine if the whole U.S. had the same time zone as long as we didn't say, like, everyone starts their day at, like, 7 a.m. or whatever, right? Like, if we just said every the whole country is the same time, but, like, if you're in New York City, you get to work at, like, 8 a.m. If you are in Los Angeles, you get to work at, like, 11 a.m. or something like that, right? Like, I feel like that would work. But um, so I feel like I feel like it's not as crazy as you might think. I mean, I mean, what that. if we you just know. switch to UTC? Everybody uses UTC. It's fine. Yeah. What What is UTC? Universal Time Coordinate. It's French. Universal yeah. Time Coordination. Basically, we all operate off of Greenwich Mean Time. We just say this no. Is the it's time. different. UTC it, is different than Greenwich Mean Time. It's close enough. It's fine. Uh, One is based on science, the other rest is on vibes. So it's uh, so if we're on UTC right now, we're recording at 3.11 a.m.? Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Well, it's we not a.m., it's just 3.11. Yeah, right now. It's 24-hour time. Man, it, Amber uh, it does, is the color of my energy. The it thing, does the feel thing, that way sometimes when we record it does, that it's yeah. 3.11. <laughs> the, thing, the thing that I use UTC a lot for is because computers use it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, if it was 3.11 right now, I'd be all mixed up. Can you give me a time zone that has a 45-minute offset? Uh, Yeah, that Australian daylight savings time thing. 
Yes, it? one of the, one of those like little tiny cities does, but that is a yeah. specific location. There are give a me, couple of those. Give me a larger one with a forty-five minute offset. Fun fact for the listeners: I was briefly an intern in a clock museum. Ooh, this I do not recall this time. specific thing. This though. is yeah, this is why is. you hate time. I worked in a clock museum, and I can't stand the and, clock. and the and the clocks were all like old antique mechanical clocks, oh. and they would all ding, tick, but tick, like tick, not. Tick, tick, tick quite at the same time keep, keep filling was, time because i'm gonna come up with this it's in asia the small one is the new is the chatham islands of new zealand they're player they're plus 1245 but that's not the one i'm thinking of nepal oh. it's nepal correct wow that's flag I'm like, I'm like, well, yeah i'm like weird flag weird time yes <laughs> uh, que- flag, question for time. for pit girl was the museum based in a mall and was it where uh Jean-Claude Van Damme and his wife are meeting in Time Cop. Were there all those clocks? Sadly, no. On oh, both okay. accounts. No. Okay, so after all of that, let's talk yeah. about what we're going to talk about this week, which yeah. I guess... Mm-hmm. Well, first off, i got to introduce people, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, if, you, if you don't, it, it'd definitely be a beautiful disaster. Then we got oh Kamish, Beth, Pickerel, Arthur on the ones and twos. Pickerel, how are you? I'm okay. It is Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. Beth? Uh, I don't know what time it is, but other than that, I'm great. And Kamesh? Uh, I'm, I'm good. It's Tuesday. It's, it's, uh, I've, I've developed a hatred of, um, an owner of a make and make of a car and, uh, it has surpassed the BMW. So, Ooh. yeah, the, Impressive. Yeah, just in in my job, um, there are owners of vehicles where we get complaints from, and the ones that are the worst to deal with were typically BMW owners. Okay, maybe like a close second Mercedes. You know, uh, not necessarily a close second, but because BMW was just—I I don't know what it was, but but uh, yeah, they've. There's been a um, make and model that has taken the crown there, and it has been. I, I just never want to see this vehicle again. So uh, I, I just don't move to yeah. Austin. Don't move to Austin. It's an electric car. Um, yeah. Oh, I think I know what it is. Yeah, uh, they're they're not built well. Um, <laughs> they, just you're what u- I no, you're using it wrong. Would would they're not would the they're not meant to be repaired? It. Say it again, Arthur. I was gonna say, would the Blade Runner drive it? Mm. I think the biggest thing we have to open with in college football world is that the ACC has released their Thursday and Friday night. They're calling them specialty games. Oh God! Like it's <laughs> like it's like it's like a fancy grocery store. Mm-hmm. It's in the market price. We're going to Wegmans. <laughs> Syracuse and Stanford, come on down. This is, We're having it in the wine aisle of a Wegmans. Duke Elon has never been more at home than there. I there's a really cool restaurant, or I mean, there, it's a there's a bunch of them now. This place called Neighborhood Services in Dallas is a restaurant, and they have a menu that is very okay. Hard to describe. It's just kind of kind of douchey. So the they have a date. They have a section called daily plates on the menu. And on Tuesday, it's a double cut chicken parm. A, there's a meatloaf, a pot pie, those kinds of things. And this feels like, oh, you know, oh, at my hipster, on my specialty plates menu, 
one night only. Would you like some uh, North Carolina State at Western Carolina? Would you like some North Carolina State at Georgia Tech? Because those are two real games that are happening on a Thursday night. I think Duke Duke versus Elon does have really strong Friday night vibes. The best is this makes us start to look at some actual conference games that exist in the ACC now, including Stanford at Syracuse on a Friday night. And Cal at Wake Forest on a Friday night. I actually think my favorite of these is mm-hmm. a non-con game. Stanford at TCU on Friday, August 30th. You Who know, asked for this? I, I don't know, but I feel like I should go to that. That's local. You should. That's local. I feel like I should do this. The fact that I have an ACC graphic here that says t- Stanford TCU and right next to it says SMU BYU yeah. is just hurting my brain. Because for a moment, SMU well, SMU BYU on this makes me feel like that's a conference game all of a sudden. But what conference? I have no clue. Were they in the whack together? Everyone sure. Was in the I don't know. Together. There was, yeah. Hold on. Let's see. SMU was, in the, was SMU ever in the whack? I don't. I don't know. Every, I just, it just feels like they were in the whack together. I just. Let me For see. me, the whack is like the Southern, where just everyone's been in it. They well, were in it, the whack from '96 to 2005. I I guarantee you, BYU and SMU played in the whack. I'm just trying to look up the the whack conference the whack timeline. The whack timeline. It's all yeah, it looks like they played. Out. They played '96 and '97. SMU has huh. never beat BYU. So, so yeah, um, yeah, time. okay. So yes, the WAC standings in 1996. Um, BYU—they uh, were actually 14 and one in 1996. Good lord, uh, they were the fifth ranked BYU Cougars. Uh, Utah was six, uh, was eight and four. Rice seven and four. SMU five and six. New Mexico six and five. TCU four and seven. Tulsa four and seven. UTEP two and nine. That was the Mountain Division of the WAC. Yep. Uh huh. Yeah. The Pacific Division, which, you know, again, uh, make it make sense. The Pacific Division, Wyoming was 10 and 2, San Diego State, 8 and 3, Colorado State, 7 and 5, Air Force, 6 and 5, Fresno State, 4 and 7, San Jose State, 3 and 9, Hawaii, 2 and 10, and the Running Rebels were running to 1 and 11. Okay. This... I love all the, the extremely mountainous teams in the we're... Pacific. That's very mm-hmm. good. Mm hmm. I mean, this is why the Mountain West split off. They realized that they needed a mountain of their own. I, I am so confused by it. Like, Joe Tiller was the coach of Wyoming? Yeah, in man. Okay, all right. 96 was, 96 was a wild time. You could just do whatever. Rest mm-hmm. in peace, Joe that was, that was after the Cold War and before 9-11. You could just do things. Yeah, history had ended then. Line go up! Yeah. Bill Clinton was just playing saxophone. Everyone loved him. Yeah, I don't know. It was, it was even it was, it was even before it was even before the Lewinsky stuff. So this really was the time when like things were just okay. Not for me. I was in sixth grade and life sucked, but otherwise it was fine. <laughs> Guys, you you might not believe this. I I was picked on as a child. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't laugh. No, it's fine. I've, I've I laugh to come to terms with that, and I have therapy, so it works. This this is my therapy. I love the idea. Again, these are specialty games. These are bespoke for you. You asked for them. You asked for them. You asked yeah. for them. Sounds like it's an abusive relationship. You no. made me do this. 
I, you I made will, me. I will say no one, no one, no one asked for Pitt at Syracuse at Yankee Stadium, and nobody asked for Syracuse Pitt to be a Thursday night game. Dude, no I, one wants this. Look, I Pitt fans are just like, why do you keep making me Thursday night games? Like, I don't want any Thursday night games. They suck. Um, there is uh, the 2022 backyard brawl, notwithstanding. That was great, but it was it was Labor Day weekend, so that's different. But, yeah. uh, also, uh, the thing that kills me about Syracuse Pitt is like, yes, Syracuse and Pitt have played frequently. Stop trying to make this a rivalry in football. It's not a thing. Stop trying who to make else, this a thing. Who else are they going to try to make a rivalry with? I know, Syrac- but like hating Syracuse football is like kicking a puppy. I can't do it. Well, there are no other animals. You have to kick something. Do I, I mean, have to kick something? I, theoretically. Yes. I, I mean, honestly, Boston College? I am becoming the coach never punts of kicking animals. I will not. The, the game I want to see on Thursday night is Pitt UNC. That has traditionally been the Thursday night game. Yeah. And well, you those games were well, yeah, those games anymore. were always bangers. And now the ACC fucked up their scheduling, and that's not an annual game anymore. Well, and this is what you get. Listen, we had to send UNC to Minnesota. Yeah. That's just the way that this goes. It was revenge for last year, which it was a home and home. So. Are they going to? What are the yearly opponents? Like, did they? Did they, sorry? I not thought they did that before, right? Did the ACC? Did the ACC do three yearly opponents? Did they keep? They, that? Yes, so, yeah. they okay. did no. pods, well, and then uh, adding all the new teams like changed it, and I don't even know what the rules are anymore. Yeah, so there are some teams that have like three or there are two teams they play every year. There are teams that also have zero uh, annual opponents, right? I forget okay, off so it's, the top it's like of my the big, head who it's it like is. It's like the Big Ten then, okay. It's like, it's like they Penn just, State doesn't have one. They just did it at random, right? But so like there are teams that have zero consistency in their schedule, which I I feel really bad for, for those teams, right? Because like I feel like even if you might not care a ton about the teams you're playing, like at least you have something that's like an annual thing, like – there are going to be teams now that literally have zero games where it's like, oh, we play them every year, right? Okay, and that's so that, just such the, a I'm, weird college football thing because I feel like historically that has like never been the case for anyone. I found the list. Uh, so Georgia Tech and Louisville do not have protected rivalries. And okay. here's the 16 games that are protected. Boston College at Syracuse versus Syracuse. That's your rivalry game. Sure. Okay. Boston College versus Pitt. That's your rivalry game. Yeah. No one Cal- wants this. Cal versus Stanford, Clemson versus Florida State, Florida State versus Miami, Miami versus Georgia Tech, or sorry, Virginia Tech, sure. NC State versus Duke, in North Carolina versus Duke, North Carolina versus NC State, North Carolina versus Virginia, Pitt versus Syracuse, they're making it a thing. Yep. SMU Cal, SMU Stanford, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Wake Forest, Duke, Wake Forest, NC State. Wake Forest, North Carolina is not a rivalry. Not protected. So... I would like to add just a tiny bit of nuance to my statements about Pitt Syracuse. I think it is good to play them annually. I would be a little bit sad if we didn't play them annually, but like, I think playing a team annually and wanting to play a team annually is still distinct from it being a capital R rivalry. And those are my feelings about Syracuse. I mean, I I feel like SMU Cal is going to turn into the, the heated rivalry of the ACC that we all need. 
See, Pickerel, you feel I... that you feel that way now, but wait till Donovan McNabb Jr. gets to Syracuse. There's got to be there's got to be something that happens between Syracuse and Pitt to make it a rivalry. There needs no. to be some sort of bad blood. I was at seventy six sixty one. Like that game had a lot of juice, but it was just that game. The number of times these teams have played without getting there suggests that that is not the case. I mean, like there are some teams where it's like, oh yeah, maybe if they played a lot, then they'd hate each other. We have ample evidence here. Like this is the most uh, large sample size non-rivalry I can think of. And I mean, it's just, you know, there's teams that as a Pitt fan, I want to be playing. Syracuse is on that list, right? Like if we could go back to the way things should be with Pitt as a football independent, Syracuse would be on the schedule. Mm -hmm. But like, I yeah, it's it is what it is. I my mentality is I want to make the most of it, you know, because like this is what we got. I mean, that's look at us out here accomplishing greatness. I look. (sighs) Wikipedia marks it as a rivalry. Okay, we've been over this. Wikipedia has weird feelings about rivalries. They've played 79 times. Uh-huh. It's ridiculous. They played that much. Yeah. When, um, when I was doing the student radio station at Pitt, we did game broadcasts for Pitt football. Uh-huh. Um, we did home and away games. And uh-huh. I one of the things that I would do is I would make like the on-air promo that would air on like during the week to let people know about the game broadcast if they were listening to the radio and when for Pitt Syracuse that year I went all in on just like like it's rivalry week Pitt playing heated rival Syracuse like all all sorts (laughs) of things and I think that was the only time people like complained or were like hey like what what are we what are we doing here like that was the only time of all the things that I put into promos because Pitt that year was not that good. Um, that was the year they they were five and seven that year. And so as the season went on, it was like, okay, like I'm going to mess around more and more doing these promos. And like, that was the thing that like got me fact checked, I guess. <laughs> so like, it's funny. It, it's so interesting to me hearing you guys talk about the Pitt Syracuse rivalry, because for Pitt fans of a certain age, it very much is a rivalry, but a different way from the year that I was born until the year that I graduated from college. Pitt beat Syracuse once or high school. Like uh, it's a it's no, a super streaky incredibly streaky rival. It's like somebody wins for 20 years and then somebody else wins for 20 years. These and- these teams have never been good at the same time. Like it's always been like one is good, one is bad. And that's probably why it's not why a lot of people don't really care. Uh, it's it's the best rivalry, non-rivalry. Why do we want to talk about the Chicago rat hole? Because uh, we haven't talked about it yet. And I think it's important. And the listeners who may not know about the Chicago okay. rat hole need to so, know yeah. about the Chicago rat hole. So pe- for people who are not plugged in, Pit Girl, what is the Chicago rat hole? So the Chicago rat hole is. Same. is an impression. Hello, podcast. This is not the usual podcast. Oh, did you share something about a rat? <laughs> I don't know if um, so the Chicago rat hole is a rat shaped impression in a concrete sidewalk in a neighborhood in Chicago that has evidently been there for like a decade, a decades, while all. decades. Uh, but the internet found it and it has become a folk shrine and you can go visit the Chicago rat hole and throw some pennies into the wishing 
uh, Chicago rat hole, you may pay tribute to our fallen rat brethren who left his impression in the pavement by pouring a pocket shot of Malort into the impression. There was a gay wedding at the Chicago rat hole recently. Uh, and this is just something that I'm extremely here for. All glory to the rat hole, bestower of wishes and happiness. There are, of, of the five Wikipedia pictures in the gallery section, two of them involve Estradial? Estradial? Uh, Estradial, yes. Estradial. Yeah. I I don't, oh, this is, this is weird. I love it. This is weird. There's a viable injectable Estradial, and then a, a picture of it filled with coins and a bag of pills. Mm-hmm. Be awesome, Chicago. This is amazing. Now they're putting up a little sign telling you not to fill it up with too much food, lest they get more rats. Did there's, you guys have... There was like, a wedding here? What is cold? A gay wedding. Oh, yeah. There was a gay it. wedding at the Chicago Red Hole. So apparently a local softball team has been using this for the last couple of years as their logo, too. But it was only very recently that it sort of jumped out at people. Did you guys ever have like a weird thing like this in any of your sidewalks? Like where you were around where you grew up? Because there's always leaves and stuff like that. Uh, the cool one for me is always, and this is like not quite the same, but in Central Texas, there is dinosaur tracks that very much remind me of this because it's just, you know, it was, that was like in the bottom of a river, a, dead, a dried river Creek, whatever. But this, like, it looks very much the same, just sort of impression on concrete. When did this? Okay. There's a Wikipedia page for this. Hey, oh, yes. yes. Oh, yes. Chicago rat hole. Also the, uh, the sea also for the Chicago rat hole Wikipedia page is delightful. Our Lady of the Underpass, salt stain under Chicago's Kennedy Expressway and pilgrimage site. Pinto okay. bean, parentheses, squirrel, American piebald squirrel died 2022. Pizza rat, <laughs> internet meme about a rat, pothole, road I surface was, disruption type. I, I, I was aware of pizza rat, but I was definitely not aware of Chicago rat hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. so you're learning things. Just, okay. I um, feel like like rat hole if i just heard that term like it would feel like like some sort of slur or something like <laughs> no see i i i imagine that's something my grandpa who fought in world war ii would be like i was locked in a japanese rat hole for four years i lost my shins like that feels very much like that <laughs> you've been watching yeah. king of the hill too much again. i'm watching king of the hill again <laughs> <laughs> Another rewatch, maybe. A political reaction in the Wikipedia page. Political reaction. On January 10th, 2024, Ann Williams, the state representative for Illinois' 11th district, posted an online video promoting the whole, calling it the jewel of the 11th district. Okay. The idea that it needs to be promoted. This is a thing. <laughs> Look at the beauties of my 11th district. Here's the rat hole. We're looking at this <laughs> the, the Chamber of Com- Commerce also received suggestions of names for the rat hole, accepted submissions until January 18th. And as of yesterday, the Lakeview Roscoe Village Instagram page announced that after more than a thousand submissions, the winner of the name or the poll to name the rat hole was Splatatui. <laughs> <laughs> okay. God, that's some good work. That's great. Oh, Splatatui. Oh, they had, they had 21, they had options to, to vote. Uh, it was like little Stucky. Splatatui, Splat, Roscoe Road Dent, and then Dibs. I don't, I don't know what Dibs was, but okay. This Wikipedia uh, page has a subsection called "Debate Over Origin of Hole." 
my which, god. Which could which could have... also which could also be on Courtney Love's page too. There's there's nine there's eighteen sources at the bottom of this Wikipedia page. It's well it's well cited. It is a, well yeah, cited. This is a robust Holy Wikipedia crap. page for a real phenomenon that we have failed to discuss on this podcast until now. You're right. Despite it being extremely within our wheelhouse. So somebody posted, there's a link at the bottom of it, uh, of this page, and it says that there's a Chicago rat hole as seen on March 4th, 2027 on Flickr. 2007, sorry. Uh, 2007, sorry. So, yeah, um, it's, it's been around for at least a couple of decades, apparently. Yeah, and so there's comments from like 17 years ago. It says, wow, what a find. I can't tell if he's actually entombed in there or if it's only an impression. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm just interested in the new folk religion that's developing around the hole. So the hole, it, it looks like they, they, they have indicated that there was footprints around it, so the rat may have gotten out. Hopefully it's a good story. He is risen. Yes. I'm just going to hope that this is the rats of Nim fucking with us. <laughs> Splat- Splatatui has risen again. <laughs> okay. That's, that's something. <laughs> Going on to other animals. Other animal news. Uga the 11th, I believe? Yes. No, I think it was the 10th. Uga has passed away. So, poor one out for Uga. I hope he's sitting on a block of ice in dog heaven. Is, is this a... I don't mean to be insensitive. Is this a Uga is dead, long live Uga situation? Or are we in an interregnum? No, I think they already had another one set to go. They, they had another Uga yeah. backed up. Well, yeah. well, that Uga, the Uga that... We just just passed away. Had already retired, um, okay. like a year or two ago, and so we already the new Uga has already been serving. Um, but uh, this Uga, I believe, was was still around when Georgia won a national championship. Yes. So uh, definitely, you know, a great and glorious reign, and um, you know, all the best wishes to Uga and all the other Uggas going forward as well yeah. i don't know i want to say like his family but like are they actually i don't think it's like an actual like no the, the others are are actually like a monarchy they are okay okay from so then another. all all we're sending all the best wishes yeah. then to, to the aga family and you know we we will miss the dowager aga the oh, is that what we call is the other pope alive still the old pope? Oh, pope, pope emeritus. Aga was Aga emeritus. Emeritus. There we go. Yeah. I, I mean, thanks to these articles, I learned that the new that the Uggas are crowned via a coloring ceremony. Uh, the Ugga that just passed away, by the way, posted a ninety-one and eighteen record from twenty fifteen to twenty twenty-two, including the two national championships, two SEC titles, and seven New Year's Six bowl appearances. Uh, so, other animal mascots have been shouting it out today, including uh, Reveille. And a bunch of other. So, like, if there's like multiple Uggas at, at like one time alive, like, yeah. I mean, what's the plural of that? Is it like Uggai? No, I think it's Uggas. I, I do have like, I can't wait until there's a schism among Georgia fans and we have Avignon Ugga. Yeah. At, well, more like, more like Rome Ugga. We'll have yeah. one, we'll have one Ugga in Rome, Georgia. Then we'll have the other one in Athens. Mm. This, I is, have, this is very east-west because actually that actually works great for east-west schisms. I have to ask. Yeah. Did Bevo st- send a message? Mm. I mean, okay. this hey, this people, is the people. Uga that Bevo mm-hmm. sent a message mm-hmm. to 
in person. People got really touchy on Twitter today. They were like morning Ugga the 10th and someone posted that video and Georgia fans got really touchy. Bevo has sent his condolences per his Twitter account. He quote tweeted the announcement from Georgia about August passing and said, saddened to hear of the passing of Ugga the 10th. Kay ran over some of the best times in Georgia Bulldog history. One of the great live mascots of all time, a great ambassador and symbol of Ugga athletics. Damn good dog. Uh, there is no notice of, or no mention of the one time that they met. Yeah. Miss Rev is also in the mentions as well. Yeah. It, this is, Everyone's pouring one out for Ugga the 10th. Long live Ugga the 11th. Do we think there are more live bulldog mascots than any other animals currently in college sports? Maybe huskies. But I, I feel mean, like bulldogs are common anyways, like a mascot. I and mean, then I can having think one of is three of, live yeah. bulldog mascots off the top of my head, and I'm probably yeah. missing some. I, I mean, I got Butler. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, I mean, you got Ugga. And handsome Dan. Yeah, yep. Handsome Dan. Um, I think Citadel has a live bulldog mascot still. Not a hundred percent sure though. I don't know. But yeah, I feel I feel like I feel oh, like Gardner Webb has one. Yeah, and so, well, and, so do, and so does Mississippi State. No. Oh. So uh, I, I feel old like SB Nation it. article by Roger Sherman says there are 28 live dog mascots in college football, but does not specify by breed. Yeah, Drake gotta... has Drake has one. They do. Uh, yes, mm. uh, his name is Griff the Second. Okay. Okay. And also, oh, Georgetown has one. Oh. Oh yeah, yeah. I knew yeah. that. Yeah. Sorry. I, so it's got to be. It's got to be bulldogs. It has to be bulldogs. If it's not like horse, but I feel like fewer people because have a number horse. of people who have horse. I guess so. I guess so. Okay. Our next thing for college football is that Iowa, as of January 23rd, has an offensive coordinator. No, no, no. Sorry. So, no. no, not yet. Still, they're still thinking about this. They got lots of time. The coordinator watch still, still going. Uh, like every time I post about it, there's there's Iowa fans that are saying that people have turned this position down. Uh, and this is just rumors that that this has happened. I think like the former Wisconsin head coach Paul Christ turned this down. Um, I don't I don't I've know. Seen, if I've that's seen that a bunch with no with no citations with no sourcing, whatsoever. like none whatsoever. It's just like crazy rumors. I got nothing. Uh, if it's not coming from like Scott Doctorman from the Athletic, who's plugged into that or if it's not coming from Hawkeye Elvis yeah. or Heavens, I I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna buy Although Heavens says deep fake, so I don't trust him I, either. Well, I mean Although I, I can usually tell his deep fakes because I know to look for them. I, I know to look for the deep fakes when it's happening. So it's I, I love how this is just still carrying out. It's just there. There's no Twitter like rumor mill, no. like nothing. It's just like, hey, yeah, it's just not filled yet. We have like that's have have we ever seen a team in recent history just wait out the churn? Because there was this whole like, oh, they don't have it yet, and it's just dead now. No one's talking about it except Iowa fans, and even they don't want to talk about it. So I feel like they have they've run the clock out in terms of interest. Mm. So they. What uh, if they're waiting until everyone stops paying attention so they can just hire Brian back? They're gonna like put a mustache on him. Yeah. Barry Ferentz. 
We got her. Someone said, someone said Fry and Barons, and I love, like, I just giggled so hard. It's Brian with a Y, Ferrance. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just, I don't, I don't, I don't know what's going on. And it's just really fascinating to me. I, I know that there's rumors of like coaches potentially going to the NFL. Will they won't lay? I mean, like the, the Harbaugh oh, saga. Is that what we're going to do now? End. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's what we're doing with the rest of this episode. We're talking about Jim Harbaugh NFL rumors. Oh, yeah. cool. The episode's going to be five minutes long. Good night, everybody. Because he's going to the Chargers. That's, that's rumors from on three. Don't care. Uh, doesn't matter. Like I haven't seen anybody else post it. it. I did a big text post where I just put Harbaugh's like close up face and then just put NFL question mark question mark. It was good. Yeah, it's that's that's what can, I feel like all these I, people. Can, can do. I complain about those big image posts? Not ours, but other people's. Because well, yeah, what, what I'm gonna complain about is that they've gotten less useful. Because it used to be you had a picture of someone and then the text at the bottom at least said who the person was and what they were doing. But we are not there anymore. Nope. It simply is a picture of someone. It says who broke the whatever story it is. And it says breaking. And, yeah. But there's no context as to who the person is and what they're doing. That's oh why I'm making God. fun of that now. Yeah. Because that's the, what it turned it. That's that's whole that's the whole reason I'm doing that now. Well, it's I like know, it's just like big but they've text gotten on worse photo. than you. They've gotten worse than you. Because you said NFL. It actually meant something. The correct <laughs> answer would have been just a picture of Jim Harbaugh and gone breaking Sicko's committee. And that's it. Yeah, okay, no, the ones, the ones that like watch tweets <laughs> don't, don't where it's just like that, like breaking news, like it, it doesn't just say it once, like it's like just like breaking, 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 like, repeat, breaking, like like breaking news, breaking news, breaking news, and then like like the biggest thing in the graphic is his name. I mean, that's that's his that's ego right there for you. But I mean, um, <laughs> no, Jordan, I, I missed. I, I I do <laughs> miss the like. We need to get back to the ones that made good meme formats right like mm-hmm. the one of um like vince carter like i got one more in me or like the uh mbappe like i will be there no matter what like that's yeah, yeah. we need to get back to that like putting a quote on a graphic and then people meme it can i get the like breaking news thing but it's like the like plastic bag that you get from the chinese food restaurant that just says thank you yep i can do that yeah done we need that, and then we'll make the text like transparent enough that we can just sort of put it over something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, I this is whether Iowa ends up waiting this out. I mean, at this point, they've got time. Like it, clearly, it's not an urgent issue. Clearly, they think they can sit on this for a while, and that's fine. They're welcome to it. Iowa's offense sitting on something. Well, uh, right, I never. Right, like. I, Every day is one step closer to offensive coordinator Kirk Ferentz. It, it, I have, unfortunately, in my in my brain, I have teacher brain still, where I go like, well, they better lock him down by July fifteenth because that's forty days before the beginning of the school year. You get locked in your contract. You have to, you can't jump without penalty. Nah, you're a fucking college football coach. Who cares? I know, Beth. Don't make that face. I, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Can't transfer just- as a teacher. I just I just put my favorite one of these in in the chat like recently it was just big text on a photo building chemistry yeah but again this is too useful because that actually tells you something about the photo the the, act, the answer is just to put breaking underneath it and with no context and again please don't do that on Michigan See, stuff because I think it's even better I don't want to do that it, no I think you just put put an adverb underneath it of any mm. like put a picture and just be like abruptly 
That's all. That's all it says. Yeah. Forward. <laughs> you want me to just get the thesaurus out and yeah. put a picture? Yeah. Find an adverb. Any adverb. This is okay, what I, I mean. We have we have we have folks that are good enough at coding that we could actually set it up to automate tweets. We send out a tweet every I don't know, 219 no. minutes. It's just no. a random picture of a football player and we an adverb. We can't automate anymore because Elon made the API expensive. Shit. Okay, I'll, you can automate it if you don't need the API. You can just use the, use the shell. It's not hard. So, yeah, that's what we need. Okay, uh, past that, let's see here. Arthur. As we get into off-season a little more, we're going to have some people come on here and talk about other things that they enjoy, other sport. And Arthur would like to talk a little bit about motorsport and sports cars. What is coming yep. up and why should I watch it? So uh, That's a great yeah, name for this. this. Actually, that's a great name for this segment. What's coming up and why should I watch it? Well, I here, I'll tell you exactly that. Um, so this weekend is kind of the traditional start of the motorsports calendar in the united states okay. um i know that there have technically been some other things happening some things like the chili bowl which which have already happened but in terms of like the big series um big names manufacturers coming in this is the start so it's the rolex 24 this weekend uh which if you're familiar with the 24 hours of le mans this is like that but okay. instead of being held in le mans france it is held in daytona beach florida uh, it's held Basically, at Daytona International same, Speedway. Same thing. Yes, yes. The Le Mans of America is Daytona Beach. And um, yeah, so they hold this at Daytona International Speedway, but it's on the road course there, which is a 3.56 mile course that uses both banking, both of the turns, right? So if you're familiar with the big oval from the Daytona 500, the road course uses both of the big turns. And then in between those turns, there are some uh, like twisty bits where they go into the infield. But it's relatively unique in the world of sports car racing. They don't race a lot on what are what it's called. It's called a roval is the term, kind of a <laughs> hybrid road course oval. Um, so it's a unique challenge for these teams and drivers that will be coming to Daytona to uh, try to do this, right? 3.56 miles is not that long for a track. And so there's, I think, 59 cars that are going to be in the race this weekend, at least at the start. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have traffic pretty much the entire race. The only time that you're not going to have traffic is like right after a start or restart, it'll take a while for everyone to get spread out. And then you'll be passing cars or having cars pass you, you know, pretty much the whole time. Like you really don't get a break where you're just kind of pounding around doing laps. Uh, so I guess I should talk about then what cars are here, right? Because I mean, you think about like, what do you, you, know, yeah, what, do you like, what do you drive on this? Right. So you're not, these aren't, you're like your open wheel cars, like formula one. These also aren't like NASCAR stock cars. These okay. are sports cars. So there's two kinds of sports cars. There's the prototypes and the GT cars. The GT cars are based on actual cars in production, right? Like okay. cars that are street legal that a consumer could buy. So like, for example, some of the cars you'll see in the race this weekend, like the BMW M4, 
uh, the Corvette Z06, uh, you know, the McLaren 720, uh, on and on cars like this, that's like your standard GT cars. The big addition this year is that Ford is back. The new Mustang has a GT car that they're entering in this race. So this is going to be the first time Ford has been back in the series for a few years now. And all of these cars, if if you want to get technical, they're all GT3 spec, which is kind of the standard at this point uh, specifications for these GT cars across the whole world, okay. right? So like, like these are the same cars that will you'll see the in the GT class at Le Mans. They race internationally. Like it's all these same cars. Um, then you also have prototypes. So prototypes are not based on production cars. They're not street legal. They look super futuristic. You know, they all have uh, one driver kind of sitting right in the middle in the cockpit, and that's kind of it. And then there's a lot of body work behind. So they're pretty similar to like open wheel cars. If you've seen like a Formula One car, except it's like the wheels are not open. They're all enclosed and, you know, they're doing a lot of stuff that they can have specially engineered uh, for aerodynamics that the GT cars can't. So then within these these different kinds of cars, then there's two more important designations. Um, the one then, so then, then the, the one that we have to talk about next is who is driving, right? Yeah. Like if you watch Formula One or you watch NASCAR, right? At least in the Cup Series, like those are all kind of like professional race car drivers. That's all their job. Mm-hmm. And they're all very good at it for the most part. And that's not what you have in this series, right? These, these people aren't good racing, at what they do. Okay. Well, so in sports car racing, you have those people. So prototypes are split into two classes. There's the GTP class, which is the top class. Those are the fastest cars. Yeah. And those are all professional drivers. So every single person that gets in the car, actually, there's one uh, amateur driver on the start list, but that we'll get into that. Um, but so these are all also like manufacturer supported. So the funding model for these sports car teams, right? We're used to watching college football where TV money plays a lot of it. If you have something like NASCAR, there's a lot of like advertising money that pays a lot, right? To be on the car. But the way that money works in sports cars, there's kind of two main areas that the funding happens. That doesn't mean there aren't others, right? There is some, some TV and, and, you know, prize money here. There's some advertising. If you have a brand, you can get on, but those, that's not what's paying the bills. So there's two, the two things are manufacturers, right? So companies like, uh, like Honda, General Motors, uh, Porsche, which I guess is, is the VW, uh, mm-hmm. conglomerate. They're paying some of these bills and for the GTP, the top class with all these pro drivers, that's who's paying for those. Okay. Then there's the, the amateur category of prototypes that those are called LMP2s. And those, every LMP2 car has to have what is known as an amateur driver in their lineup. So it's not fully amateur. They still have other professional drivers, but there's one amateur who has to like qualify the car and start the race. And they have a minimum drive time the amateur has to hit before they can pass it off to the pros who can kind of bring the car home, right? Gotcha, gotcha. Um, and the pro, the amateur drivers are paying money to be in the race, right? It's sort of like if you could imagine if you had a college football booster who instead of like 
paying money, you're giving money to the school. And then it's like, oh, like I get a say in like who the next coach is or I get my name on a building. Like instead of that, what if a booster gave money to a school and is like, now I'm the right tackle gotcha. or something like okay, that? I love I mean, this. It's, yeah. So this is very no, it's, Mount Everest. It's great. Yeah, it's great. Like you can buy your way in. Okay. No, it's that's how you get in, um, especially in LMP2, right? So there's the way they determine kind of eligibility is the FIA, which is the the government. It's like FIFA, but for motorsports. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a driver With all rating. all of the every- implications that that carries. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, oh, they, yeah. So every driver has a driver rating and it goes from platinum. Uh, then there's gold, silver and bronze. So if you're a platinum driver, those are like like the pros pros, right? So like, for example, uh, one of the drivers in the GTP, one of the guys in the car in the number 40 Acura is going to be Jensen Button, right? Who's like a former F1 world champion. He's a platinum driver, right? It's like these are the most experienced drivers you can have. And, And by the way, it's not like the FIA is like, grinding tape on guys or like trying to determine ability it's more just like a measure of kind of experience and like what you've done kind of where you've done it okay so like pretty much i mean pretty much anyone who's done like formula one or like you have people that come over from indycar um actually a lot of active indycar drivers will drive this race as sort of like a spring training or, or something like that to get ready it used to be back in the day you'd also have more people coming in from nascar and formula one but uh, as kind of the way things have shifted, their seasons are ramping up earlier and earlier. Now there aren't too many, um, especially active drivers that come over from that, but basically those top guys are, pl- are mostly going to be platinum drivers and you'll also have your gold drivers. Um, and then, so in the GT, right, GT is also split. They're both using the same GT three cars, but they call it GT d pro and gtd are the two classes so the pro class it's all pros you know again you can have four platinum drivers in that class the the just the regular gtd class that's the amateur class you have to have an amateur driver so in the gtd class it can be a bronze or silver driver Mm -hmm. in lmp2 it has to be a bronze driver um Basically, the reasoning for this is because they want it to be an attractive place for rich people to spend their money. Yeah, makes sense. And rich people are less likely. They want to like when they come and spend their money to be a race car driver, they want to have a shot. They want to have a chance to win. And they don't. So, you know, if I'm dropping a bunch of money to drive a race car, I don't want to have to be going up against the best of the best. Right. So, like, I want, uh, you know, I want to be going up against other other amateurs and of have that level playing field so there's so there's there's these minimum drive times there's also maximum drive times right so like for safety reasons you cannot drive more than a certain amount over the whole race you also can't have more than a certain amount of time in the car so i think the the rule in the car is like you can't drive for more than four hours over a six hour period um i forget off the top of my head what the maximum is um every team has three or four drivers so they take turns, right? You're not driving the full 24 hours, right? I mean, if you have four drivers, you that averages out to six hours each. Um, the So if you're a driver, you have like an RV in the lot at Daytona. And when you're not driving, you you like, you'll go take a nap. Yeah. You'll go, you know, rest, relax so that you're fresh. The people that do all 24 hours are like the mechanics and especially the pit crews. Yeah. Right. If you 
see the pit crews like overnight, like they will be kind of like like next to pit wall, like asleep. So that like as soon as like if the car needs to come in, like as soon as that happens, it's like oh like wake up and then like gotta grab tires and go out and you know do the job, right? Um, gotcha. But yeah, it's like it's super. Uh, you know, it's a super long time. It's twenty four hours, right? So it starts at one thirty p.m. on Saturday, mm-hmm. goes the full twenty four hours, and it will end at one thirty p.m. on Sunday. Uh, and it won't be affect like if there's like lightning or something like that or like a big crash where they have to red flag it like the clock keeps running. It's not um, you know, this is like, I guess, one of the few racing or one of the few sporting events, even though it's like super long, like you can know exactly when it's going to end. <laughs> you know, you're not going to have like a yeah, last sure. two minutes in college basketball situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't there's have no... the, those crazy overtime laps or, you know, anything no, like that. No, NASCAR, like... NASCAR is the only one that does overtime yeah. for uh, racing. Um, but, yeah, it's super long. Last Whoa. year's winner traveled over 2,700 miles over the course of those 24 hours. Um, you know, it's... it's uh, So last it's year's really winner, uh, 2,700 in 87 miles? Yes, that okay. I, I masked that out by multiplying the number of laps they did okay. by the distance of a lap. I'm, Although I'm I would Google say something. that I I think like when you come down pit lane, I think you cut off a little bit of the course there, but so it might not that might not be an exact figure, but um it's close enough for uh, who won last year? Telling you how far yeah, so that's fun too. Um you'd think, right? Oh, the defending winners would be back to defend their title, but they're not. Uh, okay. So last year, the number 60 Acura of Meyer Shank Racing, they won. They dominated. It was, you know, they they blew out the rest of the field. Well, after the race, it came out that uh, Honda had actually discovered that they were manipulating their tire pressure data. Oh, so there's, there's all sorts of, like, technical rules and regulations that you have to be aware of. Mm-hmm. And tire pressure is a big one. Because the tires, there's the tire supplier, which is Michelin, will set stand like tire pressure, saying like, "Hey, you can't go below a certain amount on tire pressure or above a certain amount because like this is the safe operating window for the tire." Right. And and it this is it's controversial because you can gain a lot of performance by running the tire with less tire pressure than is recommended like it will make your car significantly faster and so basically the way that imsa which is the the officials they monitor this they have like a computer and it's getting all of the like real-time tire pressure data uh it's actually if you go out and your tire pressures are too low and they do not come up to the acceptable pressure once you start circulating and get your tires up to temperature like they'll call you back in and if it happens more than once, they'll give you a penalty. But what the what the number 60 team did was they just like faked all the data that was going back to IMSA and ran their tire pressures super low. How low? I, we don't know because they weren't uh, they weren't doing it right. But that's, um, that's some that's some cheating ass cheating. I, okay. I love that yeah. this is, is yeah. combo Dieselgate deflate day. Yes. yes. This is amazing. Oh, it really is. It really is. Um, so. Uh, Honda was actually the ones that, that cut ties with them. They basically said like, 
like you're fired, right? Because the manufacturers are in, in the case of these uh, top GTP teams. Um, yeah. They are the ones that are paying the bills. And, mm-hmm. you know, Honda said like, you know, this is not how we want to win. And they basically fired the team. They said, you're no longer going to drive our cars. Uh, so that team is no longer, no longer there this weekend. Right. Um, so I have, they, I have a comparable now. Uh, bring it back to college football a little bit here. So last year's winner uh, uh, traveled approximately 2,778 miles, right? Yeah, right. Um, so no, you're, it, you're it, dyslexic, but close enough. Okay. What, 2,787 miles? 87 miles, yes. I, I will transpose numbers like nobody's business. Uh, and, and I always forget the negative in math. But yes. So um, uh, Seattle to Piscataway, New Jersey. 2,848 miles. Okay. So that's that. It's that in 24 hours. Okay. That is, that is a conference game now. And that's going to be a conference game. All right. right. So 24 hours in Uh, a prototype race car, not enough to get Dayton International Speedway. uh, I'm sorry, Daytona, not Dayton. Jesus. (laughs) Daytona (laughs) International Speedway. It is the big, the 24 hours of the big 10. I like the idea of turning the, the Daytona 24 hours into a cannonball run instead. Exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That that's, um, so I, I want to, um, before, uh, cause like, so I want to tell you guys where to watch this, right? So NBC, if you're in the U S right, NBC will have like the start and the finish of the race. Okay. Um, so right. Like at one 30, they'll, they'll go live. And then uh, I forget exactly when they come back on air for the finish, but you can watch, um, watch that there. Then in between, uh, for most of the race, it alternates between USA Network and Peacock. Okay. Um, and I believe it, this has been the case in the past. I haven't double checked this, but I believe if you just have Peacock, like you can watch the whole thing there. Um, then also, if you or just your IP address is not in the US and you're in a country that doesn't have a TV broadcast for this, um, IMSA's website, they have like a streaming thing. And as long as your IP address is not in a country they have a deal with, then you can get their feed, um, which their feed has different announcers than the NBC feed. Um, and a lot of people really prefer the, uh, IMSA announcers, the, um, Oh, over the NBC, I would say that the NBC feed is a little more geared at um, people who are maybe tuning in for their first time or especially tuning in being a fan of other motorsports. It's all like the NBC feed is a lot of spotlighting like IndyCar and F1 and NASCAR drivers in the field. Um, And so, you know, I just I know people have preferences there and some people like to maybe not be in the u.s <laughs> yeah for, we'll, we'll... for no particular reason i would like to take this moment to shout out our friends at nord P- vpn with whom we have a link that is on our twitter account that you might want to go click sure why not and then uh, arthur you want to give a quick rundown of the mazda mx5 cup 2 before we move on yeah so so one, one last thing i want to shout out a couple like teams and drivers i think are interesting so like if you're tuning in you don't really know anyone some something to watch um i mentioned there's one amateur driver in the top GTP class, yes. his name is Ben Keating. Okay, he is not only driving the number eighty-five Porsche prototype in the top class; 
he's doing double duty. So he's also driving uh, the number two car in LMP2. So he it basically he had like he's he has them. I think he's a car dealer. Um, sure. he, he owns car dealerships, but he has the money sure. and like the commitment where. So, oh, by the way, the prize for winning this race, if you are win any of the classes, right? So each class winner. So it'll be four teams. You win the race, you get a Rolex watch. That's like, that's the prize. There's a trophy too, but like the drivers, like the team gets the trophy, the drivers that win get the Rolex. Yeah. So he want you know, he's trying to have like his best shot at winning one. So he's driving for two different teams. So he still has like an overall maximum drive time, but he's, he's going to do it in two different cars. Okay. <laughs> so that's, he, he's one guy to watch. Um, there are, you know, a number of drivers from other, other series, right? So like Scott Dixon is one of the favorites in the zero one Cadillac. He is a IndyCar driver. Very, he's like one of the best of all time there. Um, you know, I mentioned Jensen button from formula one, he's driving the number 40 Acura. And, um, so th those are some people to kind of keep an eye out for. There's plenty of other, uh, drivers from other series coming over. Um, there's also, there's an all female, a, t a team that's all female drivers. Um, the, uh, iron dames Lamborghini cool. team. Um, so there's a lot of teams that you can kind of, you know, when you start, if you tune in, just, you know, you could pick a team cause you think the car looks cool. There's a lot of things to like. One caveat I will say is with, I think, 59 teams in the field, like it, it can be hard for the TV announcers to kind of keep up with everyone. So if you pick a favorite team and then it's like you're not really seeing too much of them on on camera, there's there's a lot of cars to go around. Uh, but I want to talk about MX5, Mazda MX5 Cup, because um, I don't want to take up too much more time here. But the Mazda MX5 Cup is it's a support series for IMSA. So basically, like if you go to uh, a race weekend um, and this goes for any series, like you'll have the headliners, but then you'll have kind of like openers, I guess, spread out throughout the weekend. The best supporter, like supporting series in motorsports is the Mazda MX-5 Cup. Like basically these these are all I mean, you know, like the Mazda MX-5 uh, the Miata, right? If you're familiar with that yep. car, mm -hmm. these cars have very low horsepower and they punch a big hole in the air. Like they're not really super aerodynamic, which means that drafting in those cars is super important. And both in front of the, the car in front of you and the car behind you. So these cars are racing on road courses, but they race kind of like, nascar on like a, a track like daytona or talladega if these races finish under green you can have cars going from like fifth to first on the last straightaway just because they get a really big draft you can have five wide finishes this is like if you watch one motorsport series all year like make it this one and if you want to watch this great news it doesn't matter where you are right you can watch anywhere in the world on IMSA's website, on their streaming thing, or you can watch on racer.com, which racer.com, they just have like a YouTube live stream okay. that they embed into their website. So you can also just find that on YouTube. So like if you have like a smart TV or something, that's way to watch you stuff. Can, yeah, you can just, you can find it that way. 
Um, so the races race one this weekend is at uh, four fifteen Eastern on Thursday, and then race two is at ten fifteen a.m. Eastern on Friday. So that like that is, in my opinion, going to be like the best racing that that you can watch. So I'm hopefully I think the the sickos the too fast too sickos. Hopefully we can tweet out that link when when the races start. Uh, to give everyone a reminder, but yeah, go go watch that one. Yeah. You really should click our link from NordVPN, regardless of if you need it or not. It's a good link. Click, click. Um, just point of order question: for these twenty-four hour races, whenever we talk about broadcasting the entire thing, is that one broadcast crew that just has to talk nonstop for a day? I hope not. So the the talking people will rotate, but like there are people I think on the cruise. I, I'm I'm not sure behind the scenes. I know the on screen people will rotate. And actually, oh, here's another fun one. I know. Um, so NBC employs a lot of broadcasters for racing who are still like actively racing in some capacity. Like they're just maybe not like retired from the series they're calling. So in this race, James Hinchcliffe is you know, NBC broadcaster, he's going to be doing the broadcast. He's also going to be driving in the race. So <laughs> when one of his three teammates are in the car, he can be on air, like, uh, you know, going up to the broadcast booth, maybe on pit lane, calling the race, and then he'll take his headset off, you know, take his NBC polo off, put on his fire suit, get in the car and drive it. One of the funniest things that happens at these races, which happened a lot, um, with Townsend Bell, who isn't driving this year, but he's another NBC guy. He would be on air, like calling the broadcast and like live broadcasting his car that he's supposed to be driving in later crash. Yep. I was about to, I was about to ask that and I figured that would happen. Yep. It's happened before. I mean, I'm kind of rooting for, um, for that team, by the way, that team also, that's another one. They're driving the, uh, uh, Faf McLaren and it's both James Hinchcliffe and Alexander Rossi in that car. There, there's, there's two of the drivers in that car, and they are, they have their own podcast. So, you know, from from a one podcast to another, uh, I will be rooting for them. I want to wish them good luck. And that was uh, what is coming up, and why should I watch it? Our new segment that we've just named. Before we go on to our ads, let's plug a little bit about our coming up Saturday of basketball. And Arthur, I'll get you the music clip to bump in here. Basketball. No, 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 no. I'm gonna dunk it. Woo! Okay, so on Saturday, this is from our man Grish Andrew, who is not with us tonight, but has given us some things to look out for. First off, on Saturday, Central Time, 11 a.m., Georgia at Florida. This is the Mike Wright Revenge Game Part Two. Then the one we're excited about Georgetown and Providence at 1130 AM. This is Ed Cooley's return back to Providence. And this is our home field sicko showdown of the week. We will now have sicko showdown for certain basketball games. We have a dunking bulldog and a dunking fryer on shirts. You should buy them. They're great. 25% off of those shirts specifically with offer code committee. That's right. Got central Michigan, Western Michigan on ESPN. Plus at noon, Yale at Harvard at 1 p.m. Fuck this. Yale and Andrew says Yale and Princeton are the class of the Ivy's men's this year. No one fucking cares about that. 
They don't, they don't even, they're so afraid of Dartmouth basketball who hasn't made the tournament in 70 years or so. They won't even let him in the Ivy tournament. Bullshit. TCU at Baylor for the, what we're calling the blue bonnet rivalry, the blue bonnet battle. I really hate that name. That's gross. I hate it. Wait, yeah. wait. I thought it was just like the, for the football game. They're, they're doing it for the. For everything now. It's everything no. now. Yeah, it, it sucks. No. Lame. Uh, Iowa at Michigan. For chaos fun. Dude, I love Iowa's like basketball team is nothing but like threes. And and then like they're the complete opposite of Iowa's football team. It's, That's all it's, I want. It's ridiculous. It's great. Make make Iowa's basketball coach the offensive coordinator of the football team. Nothing but bombs. Nothing but bombs. Fuck it. Four verts. <laughs> Northern Iowa at Drake apparently is a low-key rivalry. And lastly, UCLA at USC, both of those teams are pretty terrible. Um, I, I want to give a shout out to uh, Sunbelt Fun. I, I got to mention ULM, of course. Of course. Uh, on Saturday, they they play Arkansas State, the hated well, Red Wolves. I know how that's going to go. Probably. Uh, ULM is 5-12. and 12. They have one win in the Sunbelt. Uh, if they can pull this win off over 8-11, over and 11, Arkansas State, um, we may get closer to, to closing that Sunbelt circle. So let's let's root for the Warhawks on Saturday. The trans yeah, the Sun Belt has an issue with the transitive wind circle right now because at the very bottom of the Sun Belt, three teams are one and six in conference. Yes. That's Texas State, UL Monroe, and Old Dominion. We're gonna have to split those up a little bit before this works, folks. Or Hopefully. just two circles. That works. Concentric circles. Well, you know, uh, ODU has has um 17 and 2 James Madison coming up. And then they have 4 and 15 Georgia Southern. They may help. Georgia Southern's 4 and 15. They're 4 and 3 in conference. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Non-con schedule's hard, baby. It is. So before we go into our second half, let's talk about the things we're going to plug. As always, join our Patreon slash Discord. You get to join in with all the fun stuff we do during the day. You get to catch on with all the extra things we're adding on this offseason. Give us feedback, stuff like that. You also get access to our Patreon podcasts, including Commission's Corner, which we'll be back, which we've caught, I think, 14 episodes of it of that if you haven't listened to them, and we'll have more coming soon. We also have our merch store at sickoscommittee.org, our YouTube channel, our Instagram, our Substack. Where Kamish is, and other folks are writing for the best season of all time for teams who stopped having a football team. That's right. We got folks at all levels now sending us stuff. We have any, I saw people were sending us like NAIA teams. NAIA like, teams, like they're like, hey, this team doesn't exist anymore. You need to talk about them too. And I'm like, oh God, like what type of Pandora box have I opened by doing this? Uh, it's It's been fun. Uh, the one that came out today was Vermont. It, that was it great. Was, it was a lot of fun. It's it's fun to go through that. Um, you know, they, I'm glad they have a club team. Shout out to Buddy Tevens, rest in peace. Uh, he actually donated a lot of the uh, their uh, equipment to allow Vermont to have a club team when they came back in 2007. I know it's not Division One, but it was pretty cool that Buddy Tevens uh, donated that to the Catamounts to let them have the club team. So that was awesome. Uh, we got Portland coming on Friday. I think I'm going to try to time these on Tuesdays and Fridays um, just to do that. Maybe it'll change a little bit. And I, I'm trying to get ahead. I'm working on another one, um, which is I, I'm dying laughing about again. And I, I don't know. I, I that's That's coming after Portland is coming on Friday. 
which okay. uh, next week we'll, we'll do that. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. It was um, really, 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 really a blast to dig in these. And, you know, I found out that there, there was something called a Rose Bowl Junior at a time. Ooh. So yeah. okay, I'm, okay, I'm excited for this. Yes. This and is not, like the, Nick not Ju- the Rose Bowl of the East. No, it's like um, Nick Jr. I like it is like Nick Jr., but it, I think it was called the Junior Rose Bowl. But Now I want to see David the Gnome in the Rose Bowl. Oh, yeah. Oh, see, I, I was I, thinking the Rose Bowl, but all the commercials are Face. Ooh, I miss Face. I nice miss Face, too. You know, Beth, you said you said David the Gnome in the Rose Bowl. Uh, they've had that. Stanford was in a Rose Bowl. Okay, David, yeah, that's fair. Because if you don't know, the last episode of David the Gnome that they never, ever showed on Nick Jr., he turns into a tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they never showed that episode because they did a couple times and apparently people were like, this is sad. Because there's only mm-hmm. 23 episodes of David the Dope and it was Spanish? That's mm-hmm. cool. From Spain? I did not know that. I learned that. Okay. All I know is that I've wanted to ride a fox for like 25 years. Uh, yeah. Who doesn't? With with you and your little gnome husband in the mouth? No. Because mm-hmm. oh, why did the lady, ha- the, did, did, did his wife ever ride? ride I don't it, know. Or, or was it the little, like there was a the little carrier he had in his teeth. Yeah. He carried, it was it's such an acid trip of a show. <laughs> it is. Oh, God. I didn't go back and watch David the Gnome now. And uh, as always, we're plugging Message Board Geniuses podcast because they go to the places that we refuse to go because holy shit. And then, as always, <laughs> our because fa- holy shit. And as always, our favorite and our first partner is always Home Full Apparel. If you love soft, comfortable, cozy, warm, all the things you need in clothing that's also licensed for colleges absolutely please go to them like i said earlier our sicko shirt showdown is back for college basketball we've got providence and georgetown coming up this saturday as long as the shirts are available they'll be up we'll put out the link but use offer code committee to get 25 percent off those specific shirts or if it's your first order at all time at home field use offer code yes ha 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 yes three ha's for 15 percent off as a first time customer i feel like half of my closet it's got to be almost it's approaching 70 percent of my closet is home field yep. at this point and if they keep adding more and more like schools which i think they have a drop coming up this week for uh just a refresh of like kentucky and there's another school i can't remember what it is but there's another one coming for there and they keep adding crazy schools in the future which is yeah, it's going to be fun. Also, if you have the new Homefield app. Oh, I use the app all the time. Yeah, the Homefield app. There is something where if you click on the tab that says schools, at the very bottom, there is something called the T-shirt randomizer. So if you go to Homefield and oh, hey, that's maybe, so dangerous. maybe they don't it's have so your dangerous. school. Maybe they don't have your school. Download the Homefield app. They don't have your school. And here at the committee, I, I, I can't tell you how many different school shirts that I have. Um, when I go to pick up my kiddo at the the school line, I'm sure the parents are like, what what college is he wearing today? Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think I wore a pay dirt Pete shirt the other day, which is, I mean, it's okay. It's still in Texas. But then today I wore a Wayne State shirt. Uh, and then I can't wear my FU shirt for Furman. <laughs> nope, you cannot. <laughs> I definitely not. That is that. not good at the elementary school pickup lot. Definitely not. <laughs> Should not. Should, Should okay. not. Okay. All right. Should I wear the FU shirt with my do crimes beanie? Yes. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> Congrats. You're that dad. I am that dad. Uh, so yeah, if you have the app, 
And I mean, really, you can't pick a, a school. There is the randomizer on the app. And if you never bought so from dangerous. Homefield before, uh, you can use the code, as we said, yes, ha 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 ha, yes, three ha's. If I say, I don't know how many I said. Uh, but yeah, go ahead and do that. Do the randomizer. It's great. It's a dangerous thing to do, but it's it's cool to like, I mean, at the committee, we support all the schools. Like we, we do it all. And, and I, I wear all schools because again, they still don't have ULM, but I'm fighting for them to get ULM eventually. So in our second half, we're going on to our new segment, which I really enjoy. Enjoy this one. The worst season of all time for teams who are above 600 on time was sat with wow, 600 at. Wow. And, wow. and and I wanted to do this one. Can we put uh, can we put a um like a was it is, a, is it Wario? A, a, Walu, a Waluigi. Waluigi sound. Okay, that's wow, a, yes. I, I got the the was confused. Beth, I gotta get a soundboard. I, wow. need, I, need a, I need a sound effects board. I'm canonically the keeper of the soundboard when we get one, Jordan. Yeah, that is true. Okay. I'm, I'm more. I mean, do we? Like, how do we get a soundboard? Do we? We'll figure. We'll figure this out. I'll figure out how, how? to patch it into my. my There's an, line. a number of different ways we can do this. I, I need. I need a because I don't have a mixer. I'm plugged straight in. So I need a mixer that goes into uh, my feed. That's the problem. Wow. Wow. Uh, so. Wow. I want to do this one because last week we started with Alabama, and I wanted. I'm getting through, working through some issues here. So, we are doing the real USC, the University of Southern California, V for victory. Fight on Troy, all that good stuff. Go ahead and click on that link, y'all, and that'll take me to take you to my doc that I'm going to work out of. No, I'll keep dropping things in. Why didn't, so, why didn't you like? I like how you it? made the link not clickable. Yeah, man, so come on, man, make the link it. alive. Nope, nope, not going to do that. Bring the link alive. Make it alive. So make it blue. One, for this Ooh, that's one, a lot of red. I'm going to need some help from Commission here in a second. I'll tell you why. Oh, that no. is a lot of because red. Because this is a one and nine. USC. Okay. And there is a reason for this season being one and nine. Last time we talked about Alabama, just like it was a confluence of events that didn't go well, that kind of thing. This was actually a huge confluence. Like it was specific things that happened here. Oh yeah. So 1957 USC. I will read the schedule to you just to start with. So everyone has an idea of what we're looking at here. They started the season ranked at 19th, lost to number 13, Oregon State, number 10, Michigan, Pitt, Cal, Washington State, beat Washington on the road, then lost to Stanford, number 16, Oregon, UCLA, and number 12, Notre Dame. This was a hell of a schedule. Like, this is a rough-ass schedule to start with. Lots of ranked on here. However, there were other things going on. You scroll down a little bit. We'll talk about some totals. Just give you some numbers you're thinking about here. USC scored 13 touchdowns on the season. Their opponent scored 20, 30. That's a problem. SC scored 86 points for the season, including a safety against UCLA. Opponent scored 204. <laughs> okay, <sighs> they got they got run the fuck over here. The asterisks here make it for me. Oh yeah, eighty six asterisk includes safety against ULA, UCLA. Two oh four asterisk asterisk includes safety by Michigan. Mm-hmm. Safety alert. The passing game. Well, honestly, SC was a pass happy team, but it didn't go so well because they threw one hundred and eighty two times. 
completed 80 of those and threw 13 to the wrong person. Oh, no. Yeah. 44%, uh, 44% of the completion rate for two touchdowns in the whole season. Okay. That's two passing touchdowns the whole season on 13 interceptions. Okay. Not great. No. Maybe maybe they were they were running it better. Maybe the the rush offense was better. Not a whole lot. Uh, they basically rushed for about fourteen hundred yards the whole season. Their opponents rushed for twenty four hundred, a thousand more. This was just a train wreck. But there's a specific why. Let's go to the year before. We we're under Coach Jess Hill, who's actually the first person to play as both both four and coach Rose Bowl champions. And that's a picture of Jess Hill there. He looks like a dude from the 50s. He looks like he's running for office. He looks like he's running for office. And does he have gloves in his pocket? I think that's just a kerchief. A really badly folded kerchief. So he Might res- be a really fancy pocket square. So he resigns in 57 to become AD. And he's AD there from 57 to 72. Why did he resign to become AD? Because shit was about to get real on the West Coast. If you think the Pac-12 dissolving is unprecedented, I have a story for you. (laughs) Because the the predecessor of the Pac-12 melted down, not along the same lines, but pretty damn close. So Jess Hill, was he any good? Okay. Took them to the Rose Bowl twice. Won one, lost one. Ended up being 45-17-1. No national championships, but pretty good. And this is in the Pacific Coast Conference. After he resigned, they brought in Don Clark. Don Clark had already been on staff there. There's a picture of Don Clark there with two brash young gentlemen there and a really great Southern California football staff shirt that I kind of want to redo. I really like that look. That is a good shirt. Look you at also, it with those strapping boys. Right? You also see the whole staff down there, and you might notice who the line coach is for this team. Kamish, if you can scan that uh, and see who the line coach is, whoever gets to it first. (laughs) Oh, Al Davis. Al Davis is the line coach for this team. There we go. So Don Clark was from Iowa but moved to L.A. when he was 15. He played guard at USC in 42 before entering the military for World War II. I couldn't get a source on this, but somewhere apparently – a shell went off near his head so closely that he lost eight fillings. Oh my. Oh, yeah. wow. So, but what did he do when he came back? Joined the team again, 46 and 47. He went to the Rose Bowl, was the captain of the team that went to the Rose Bowl in 48. And they lost to Michigan 49 to zero. 1950, he was assistant at Navy, but returned to SC under Jess Hill. And when Hill was elevated to athletic director, Clark succeeded him on the recommendation of players. The players loved him. However, he became coach during the crisis. And we need to talk about what happened to the Pacific Coast Conference. Kamish, you've done the research on this. Yeah, I did. Um, so l- last year, I, I did a Substack series called Whatever Happened to This Conference? Because, you know, all the conferences were burning down, uh, essentially. And then now we, we, we opened this podcast with talking about Stanford at Syracuse as a conference game. Uh, so let's go back to the predecessor to the pack, 
you know, 10 or Pac-8, whatever you want to call it. The the Pac-12 now, you know, it's still technically alive until the end of the other sports seasons. But they like to consider the, the Pacific Coast Conference the same conference. They like to say that it's the same conference. It's always been the same conference. Um, I say no. So really what happened in this situation was something they called the the crisis. They wasn't what is what what Gundam series has crisis timeline? This is no the crisis idea. timeline. I have no idea what happened here, but so basically in 1956 there there were scandals, you know, you know, wrecking the place in like 1952. I mean, I mean, back up. They, they, they kicked SC out of the conference in 24 for yeah. a year Yep. because they were, because they thought they were, you know, they were, they were, I remember the 24 was like paying players or it was recruiting. USC paying players. Oh, oh, this, this is, oh. this fucking thing melts down over it. It is, Imagine it is, that. it is nuts. So this, I mean, like basically. Here I was hoping they got templed, but okay. USC, no, like, no, no they, God, I mean, that would be funny. That was a little bit different. No, it suspended USC for like a, a year from the conference in 1924. Uh, then the conference pre- performed a critical self-study in 1932. <laughs> they produced a 2 million word report. Uh, in but, fucking 1932 19, million words in 1932 yeah. someone had to type that no no no. the report was in 1939 by the way so Jesus that's 15 Christ. years later right can uh, we get it on microfiche oh, i bet Jesus maybe Christ. i don't know maybe you know again the the connor stallions uh you know manifesto probably has nothing on this two million word report <laughs> uh so the pacific coast conference had paid a commissioner uh, an, an elaborate constitution, a formal code of conduct, and a system of reporting student athlete eligibility. After all this happened, you know, basically the guy that wrote the two million word report was promptly hired as commissioner, uh, and then he was succeeded by his uh, assistant. So then the conference was racked by scandal in 1951. There was charges made that University of Oregon football coach Jim Aiken had violated the conference for, uh, code for financial aid and athletic subsidies. Uh, so like, ab- even, like even getting scholarships, yes, was was not okay at this point on the That's West right. Coast. So because they it, were an they were academic first. That's the whole point. It was crazy. So after Aiken was compelled to resign, so basically their football coach, they made him resign. Oregon urged the Pacific Coast Conference to look at similar abuses uh, by the UCLA football coach, Red Sanders. This uh, is great. We're uh, not cheating. We're, we're cheating. Cheat. But Somebody else look is. at them, too. They Fucking did look it at worse. Them too. Uh-huh. So this was in 1951, right? When they Oregon made this urge. The conference spent five years investigating and attempting to reform itself. And then in 1956, the scandal became public. So this is one year before the worst team of all time for USC. Uh, the scandal first broke at Washington in, in January 1956. Several discontented players staged a mutiny against their football coach, John Cherberg. Love uh, to hear a mutiny. Uh, all right. I, I just want to let you know about this mutiny, whatever happened to this coach, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, he was done coaching in... in, in like after this, like the mutiny happened, he never coached again. But guess what happened with John Cherberg? I know the answer for this. He became, he became the became lieutenant governor of the state of Washington. So yep. yes, we fail upwards. That's right, you fail upwards in the state. This of Washington. sport has always been stupid. Uh-huh. Okay. So after he was fired, the Pacific Coast Conference followed up on charges of a slush fund. 
I'm like, I love like slush funds. That's, oh man, it feels like a daiquiri. I feel like I'm in Louisiana here. I'm like, throw in some rum and let's give me that strawberry daiquiri slush fund going on. So the Pacific Coast Conference found evidence of the prohibited activities of the Greater Washington Advertising Fund uh, run by Roscoe C. Torchy Torrance. I love it. And then they imposed sanctions. That's in January of 56. In March of 56, allegations of prohibited payments were made by two boosters associated with UCLA. The Bruin Bench and the Young Men's Club of Westwood were published in the Los Angeles newspapers. UCLA refused for 10 weeks to allow the PCC officials to proceed in the investigation. Correct answer. Correct fucking answer. <laughs> Do not let them in. Don't Come let the them in. Off. Deny it. Get the hell out of here. Whatever. Finally, UCLA admitted that all members of the football coaching staff had for several years known of the unsanctioned payments to student athletes and had cooperated with the booster club members or officers who actually administered the program by actually referring student athletes to them for such aid. Love it. They just broke down. They're like, fuck you. I'm not participating for 10 weeks. Fuck it. And then they're like 10 weeks later, just like, okay, fine. I'll tell you everything. Yeah. What, what I, do you want to yeah. know? Like, what? <laughs> why? So then the scandal thickened uh, as UCLA alumnus and member of the USA Athletic Advisory Board blew the whistle on a secret fund payments in violation of the PCC rules to the University of Southern California players, known as the Southern California Education Foundation. Yep. So basically, this is what happened. Washington had a mutiny. Then Washington tattled on UCLA. Oh, sorry. That Oregon tattled on UCLA for like five years, yeah. along with Washington. Then UCLA was like, I'm not talking to you for 10 weeks. Okay, fuck it. We admit it. But USC was doing it too. <laughs> this so is amazing. Here, here was the punishment, though. The punishment was that originally... Oh, if hold on. You got, There's go another ahead. one. Let me throw another one in here, too, because, you know, U USC was not done and just accepted their punishment. No, 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 no. The same alumnus also blew the whistle on Cal's phony work program, mm -hmm. uh, known as the San Francisco Gridiron Club, with an extension in the Los Angeles area known as the South Seas Fund. I mean, like, <laughs> go right ahead. <laughs> uh, uh, my, my fraternity house's social fund checking account was called the John Thomas Fund for Wayward Youth. The South Seas Slush Fund. You got this is ridiculous. So this all happens. This is like up to fifty six, and in fifty six, the hammer comes down on USC. And this is like when I say fifty six, I mean the summer before the nineteen fifty six season. The hammer comes down. This is the year before Don Clark takes over, and they say if you got paid, you lose an immediate year of eligibility. So, like, right before the season starts? Right before the season starts. Yep. Done. Oh, no. And they say, nope, Rose Bowl. And limiting recruiting. Like, they, they gut these things. And so I'm going to just read a couple of things from the USC newspaper that took this very, very well. The vengeful god of the Pacific Coast football struck out at the Trojans last week yeah. in avenging the wrongdoings of collegiate athlete hiring and sustenance procedures. The godlike PCC faculty committee thumped SC with a murderous blow, perhaps overdue, but a blow was way out of proportion to the crime which was misplaced. In striking out as they did, the PCC declared 42 SC football players ineligible and devastated the university's pigskin program with one pronouncement. Nice alliteration. 
It was good. I like that. It's nice. The regulation was ridiculous, but that is beside the point. Quote, laws are made to be kept, not broken, and should be enforced. Until the rules are changed, we're all for it. They should be enforced. But is this the way to enforce the law? Interpretations of the code were asked for by SE booster groups, I'm sure, in the past. And the PCC great white fathers oh my God. refused to come out with a clear interpretation of loopholes for playing athletes. Blame the booster groups, blame the university which allows such practices, throw out heavy fines, but for God's sake, don't punish the student bodies and leave black marks on the spirits and names of athletes. It's great. So. I'm like, I, I love the newspaper article, which I don't know if you got into it or not, but uh, it says the four PCC Northern Weak Sisters. Yep. I have, and, I have that. and a halo bound Stanford. Because Stanford was an so angel. this this was like <laughs> like SC was SC punished unduly for things other people were doing. Yes, did the northern schools absolutely want to tell SC to go fuck themselves? Absolutely. Yeah. So this like both of these things can be true here. Yeah. It's so 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 basically they do this and they try to come out against it, but it ends up being I have the quote the, the article here PCC wallops SC. Votes 42 football players ineligible, two banned from Rose Bowl, fined, two track men guilty. Sure. Might as well add that on there. Yeah. The quote is, the four PCC Northern Weak Sisters and a halo-bound Stanford joined forces yesterday to kill a motion to restore a half-seasons of eligibility to SC and UCLA senior football players. This was later on because for the 56th season, eventually they got a half-season of eligibility back. And that's why the 56th season, they went, I think, 8-2. and two. It wasn't as bad. No. Because they still had senior players that could play a half year. Yep. But then the next one is when it came down. Because in 57, they were going to miss, I think, 16 lettermen. They were down to people who had never played for Troy. For, 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 uh, Troy. Because they keep calling themselves Troy for SC before. <laughs> and... Uh, like this is when the big changeover happened too. Cause you remember I said that Jess Hill resigned at the end of 50, like during 57 and became athletic director. And then Don Clark had to pick up this giant fucking pile of mess. The conference itself is still falling apart. Oh yeah. Because, it's totally... because, because there's still Stanford and other schools being like, we need harsher rules yep. to make these non nerd schools like, like they have to not be as into football. Anymore. So just basically just think of it at, at this time that the, the conference is basically falling apart at, at the seams. Uh, and so this year, USC 1957, uh, you know, the conference fired uh, Vic Schmidt, the commissioner. Uh, he had been taxed with, with cleaning up the conference and then he imposed sanctions on UCLA along with USC and all that stuff, uh, prohibiting participation in the Rose Bowl. Uh, then the, the, the season after that, the after the 1958-59 season, the conference dissolved. So basically you have maybe like one or two years left of the PCC existing, happening for this 1957 USC team. The main problem as the coach said, was the reserves. You can't count on 11 men carrying the load as someone always gets injured or is ineligible because of grades. And so they started looking for junior college transfers. So they start bringing in some people. I would like, if you guys scroll down a little bit, you'll see a hilarious picture 
of two women playing uh, football. Oh. From the article, false prediction, SC won't have to rely on co-eds as many sports scribes predicted when the PCC first lowered the boom. What? Ladies could play football. Wah! Okay. Why are men? Beth, we're getting in the machine from Time Cop and we're going to go back and we're we are going to slap the shit out of whoever wrote this article. And then play for USC. Yeah. So what I mean, did Beth what is did they... like six seven, right? Or six ten. Mm-hmm. That's what I said on the last episode, right? So how did USC itself feel about this upcoming season? Well, the next part is actually from the fifty seven uh, press book. With eight of the best combat warriors left behind, the Trojan horse enters an extremely demanding ten game schedule with a thin, inexperienced group of infantrymen under first year direction of aggressive Don Clark. Winner of a battlefield commission as a lieutenant in World War II, Clark suddenly finds himself promoted to football general in command of an organization noted for victory, but not figured to produce the same this year. The Errant Eight, which is a great bit of alliteration, who fell under PCC sanctions, would have formed the nucleus of the 57 SC football team. Let me, fullbacks, go ahead. let me give you the Errant Eight, essentially, in, yeah, go for in it. this situation. So the, the ones that are... Uh, <laughs> I think the errant eight. I love it. Sorry. But basically what, what that article said previously, uh, the one I, I alluded to up, up yeah. uh, in the doc, basically uh, the weak sister in the halo bound Stanford. Uh, so the faculty representatives from Oregon, Oregon state, Washington state, Idaho, and Stanford. So those are the folks that are good. Wazoo is fine with this, by the way. Wazoo does not give a fuck. They're Wazoo, just happy to be there. Wazoo doesn't care. They're happy to be there. And and Idaho is still in this conference at this time. That's right. Um, <laughs> Montana left a little bit before that. So I believe Montana left in, I think, 48, I believe. Um, just to be accurate. No, they left in 50. Idaho yeah. left in 59. So when the conference dissolved, Idaho got the hell out of there. <laughs> So yeah, the errant eight pulled the, the errant eight got pulled out, and basically they lost all their power. And of yep. course, they had teams like Michigan and Pittsburgh on the docket. So how did this go? We're going to be reading a little bit from the yearbook here. I'll start with Don Clark competes for first year as head coach on February seventh, nineteen fifty seven. Don Clark became the fifteenth football coach in Trojan history, succeeding Jess Hill. Don has a thorough athletic background, having led in all major sports. In the, on the 41-foot Trojan Frosh, on the 42, 46, and 47 varsity football teams, winning awards as the outstanding landman, lineman and most inspirational player. Don started the 57 season with a squad depleted by weak sister schools of the PCC, yet did a credible job of preparing them for better years to come. And this is true. By two years later, he would he would go, I believe, like ten like nine and one and win a Rose Bowl. Yeah. So this is this is this was a very like not big dip. There was some anger, I will say that, by all these these sanctions and stuff, and this this led to the dissolution of the the uh, essentially the Pac-12. Even though they try to say it's the same, I'm not giving them credit for it. Uh, it's a different charter, it's a different thing, but yeah, um, there there is some bitterness from USC about this because I mean, really, they kind of were like the. the the third oh. tattletale, and then their like, their rival UCLA is the one that told told on them. Like, essentially, I had I had to cut because just for time, 
every fucking op-ed from this year, <laughs> so last mad. two years, because all the op-eds in the paper for the SC paper so are mad. just screaming about this. That's so all it mad. was for two years of coverage. I can't imagine, like, just, I mean, just thinking of, like, a Twitter echo chamber. Of oh, just, I mean. Like, uh, maybe, hey, maybe it's the message board geniuses of their time. It absolutely <laughs> Where was. It's just, they were so mad that they got in trouble and, like, they blame the other five, but really it was their neighbor, UCLA, that kind of ratted on them. And and of course, in the end, when the vote to disband, SC and UCLA like both voted to disband together, which sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yep. The two teams that jump. Mm-hmm. They went to the Big Ten. So the games themselves. Opening against a ranked Oregon State, always a bad idea. Oregon State, who has just won the Rose Bowl. In fact, there was a good chance this year because of penalties. Actually, I don't know who went to the, this would have been the 58 Rose Bowl. I don't even know who I think went. Cal because, made it. And it was, like uh, it, was, it, was, it, was or, it was Oregon with seven and three okay. because everyone above them was banned from going and you couldn't go in back-to-back years. So Oregon State couldn't go. Oh, that was so, back when Oregon was the Webfoots. Yeah, the Oregon Webfoots. Okay, so lost the first game 20 to zero to Oregon State. Not a great start. With the absence of eight seniors ruled ineligible by recent PCC edicts, the inexperienced team simply couldn't connect. They were going to try to pass the ball. It did not work. Fullback Clarence Beamer of Oregon State was the star of the game, carrying the ball 20 times from an average of 6.5 yards per carry. And then, guys, before the game two, the Michigan game, the school got the avian flu. Hold, hold on. Oh. Uh, you said Oregon State was the Rose Bowl champion? The year before, yeah. I believe? No, they lost to Iowa. Okay, so, sorry, they were in the Rose Bowl. Lost they were in no. the Rose Bowl, but they lost okay. to Iowa, yeah. So, before game two, school gets the flu. Michigan is already out there uh, playing another team the week before, and then Pitt is also already out there. They Pitt got drubbed week one, I believe, by Oklahoma, and then they kept going out west. So they're already out there and all of a sudden they're missing more players. In fact, one of the guys who was playing for, I I think it was Rex Johnson, uh, basically was in the hospital the week before and was on no contact, like bed rest. He dragged himself out to the field to practice, but wasn't allowed to get hit and played the game. And it still didn't help because Michigan wins this one 16 to six. Although, and the amount of cope on this one is great because, quote, although losing the game 6-16, to the Trojans gained the admiration of many sports writers as they put up a great fight in the face of overwhelming odds. Rex Johnson broke through right tackle in the second period to the Michigan four-yard line. Just as he was about to get tackled, he flipped the ball to Billy Howard, who lost no time running into the end zone. But Michigan comes back and runs. So, yeah. We're now 0-2, which is not great. But then Pitt goes out there and Pitt wins this one 20 to seven in a game marred by hot tempers and 254 yards of penalties. Whoa. And through the heaviest <laughs> line in college football. Weight is the only measure we take That's advantage right. of here. Talk about them. Boys. Against SC boys. Handling, our, handling our go-go team in its third straight loss. That's right. Panthers scored first with a 42-yard march to the goal line only eight minutes into the first quarter or in the second, Conroy hunted from his own goal, but the kick was blocked by a pit end who fell on it in the end zone. Lots of block kicks. 
There's an interception, and yeah, basically Pitt just broke Troy. And then we're going to start the bad times, because that's rough, but you can excuse Michigan and Pitt, which is a great saying. You can, uh, because, I mean, uh, you got the 13th-ranked Oregon State, number 10-ranked Michigan, and then you got Pitt. I mean, Pitt. And the flu. Pitt, what, what you- Pitt last year uh, in, in 1956, they finished, like, 13th in the AP. Yeah. So, I mean, it's the beginning of the season. You can excuse those three losses. It sucks. Here's what you and can't do. you got do. the flu. You got the bird flu, right? You can't lose to Cal for the first time in seven years. Cal wins 12-0. For the first time in seven years, 250 yards of penalties were assessed by officials against both teams. Hey, Pac-12 refs has always sucked. The rough play in this game is what set up Cal's first touchdown. Uh, Cal opened the second half with another touchdown, scoring in seven plays. Uh, after several futile Trojan scoring attempts, the hot tempers flew up, showed up amongst players. Cal ended up on top for the first time in seven years. Even the yearbook has a headline of first Cal win over SC in seven years. When your yearbook is like taking you at the knees, that's rough. This is the newspaper. And then even worse, Wazoo beat, Tro- beat Troy. Again, they call themselves Troy. SC for the first time in 23 years. Who? That's a problem. For the first time in 23 years, the Trojan varsity tasted defeat at the hands of Washington State. It was the first time in 1950 that SC had been defeated in the Coliseum by any team from the Northwest. I mean, I, I don't know what they, they consider the Northwest. is like Oregon, Oregon State. It's the four. I would think four. it'd be the four, but they don't specify. I would assume. And it, the game was 13-12. I like... I like I like the yearbook when when somebody says they drew first blood. Mm-hmm. It's great. Washington State drew first blood in the game as a fine passing quarterback, Bob Newman. I thought it read Bob Newhart at first. No, Bob Newman. Yeah. Okay. Uh, threw an eleven yard pass to Ted Gray for six points. This Angelo game, Angelo I- Brovelli converted the extra point. The worst thing about this game is they ended on a miss. SC field goal. Ugh. So had to set up for the field goal. Ugh. Went went wide Ugh. with time running out. So that's fine. We're only 0-4. And, and guess what? They win the next one. Yeah. Back they on track. Beat, they beat Washington. Feels good. Uh, with Lou Bird and Phil Dabrowski playing the best games of their careers, SC won its first game of the season against Washington. The first score came on a blocked Washington punt. Nice. Beautiful. So then what do we go from there? I guess it's going to be fine, right? Nope. Totally. Lose to Stanford 35 to seven, which even back then, that's a rough one. Uh, Stanford took time out from their festivities in the PCC ivory tower to crush the senior (laughs) list Trojans 35 to seven in front of 51,000 interested fans. (laughs) They are so damn mad. The Stanford team, including 13 seniors, handled the green Trojans as if they owned them and quickly rolled up a 21 to seven lead by halftime. SC's only tally came when Don Boyne snagged a 20-yard pass from Willie Wood. Buford converted. This capped a 76-yard drive, Trojan drive with a masterful Mr. Wood at the throttle and some great running help by Tony Ortega. Stanford started rolling immediately in the third quarter of the 58-yard march in eight plays. 
this is what broke the team. I just I love interested fans. They just they just I love that framing. They were they there. Love, <laughs> it's just, I got, I, look, as soon as I saw the phrase Ivory Tower, I immediately yeah. went to Garth Brooks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got friends in low places, and I'm like, mm-hmm. USC, you are not, you are not low places. <laughs> maybe These this those... year, maybe this year, but you are definitely not friends in low places. You are not getting high in your ivory tower. Those, those these these rich men north of Richmond, San Jose, whatever. I don't know, north of Oakland, I guess. <sighs> no, actually, Stanford, south of Oakland. Shit. Okay, never mind. Maybe, then, maybe elevation wise. Yeah. True. Sure, sure. Okay. Then Oregon beats them 16 to seven on their way to the Rose bowl. The Trojans had a very slow start against the ducks until like, it wasn't until the end of the third quarter. They finally started to roll by the end of the game. SC had nearly matched Oregon's total yards for the day. Hey, we're doing things. Yay. And then the last two games fuel feud renewed with crosstown rivals climaxing. Uh, Go ahead. Listener, please note, feud spelled F-U-E-D. Oh, that's why my brain went so weird. Oh, it said fuel, because I wasn't sure what was going on. Fueled, feud. renewed. Fueled. Fueled. Oh, by the way, on the last uh, podcast we had, um, it, with the Alabama thing, there was a yep. misspelling in that, too. There in the go. yearbook. It was. I, I forgot what it was. Somebody somebody like pointed it out. I, I can't remember what it was. I got to go look at it real quick in the notes. But it was... It was uh, like one of the headlines in the yearbook was misspelled too because somebody was just like, they were just laughing at Alabama's yearbook misspelling something. So a uh, lot of fun. So UCLA wins this game 20 to nine, only the eighth win over SC since 1929. This is in 57. <laughs> that was a, one, a one-sided a one rivalry game to, for the, to, to really be true there. Okay, I, I found it already. Go for it. it. Instead of saying quarterbacks, it was... Mm-hmm. Quaderbacks. That's good. If if you want, like Clay Walls, it was just Clay Walls's face. It was like ah, I forgot the R in quarter. Quarterbacks. <laughs> and then like, the season closes forty to twelve against Notre Dame. Fighting Irish on Notre Dame on the road to recover after a couple bad seasons wreaked their vengeance on the Trojan varsity to a tune of forty to twelve. The Irish took advantage of the cold, which slowed down the Trojan defense. And went through the air for two touchdowns in the first quarter. This is the highest total ever tallied by the Irish against SC at South Bend. The previous being 32 to zero in 1940. Wow. Is that like still a record to this day? No, I think that one's been broken. Okay. So now go ahead. I just wanted to mention that Notre Dame in 1956 was two and eight. Yeah. What were they in, what were they in 57? In 57, they finished a seven and three. Okay. So and they better. were like 10th. Overall in the AP, uh, they they beat SM, SMU in the Cotton Bowl, fifty four twenty one. Good lord. Okay, so we get to the end of this season, and and everyone's very understanding of this. Like again, the anger is not on Don Clark here. The anger is on the Pacific Coast Conference. They hurt us. The Stanford Cardinal getting high in their ivory tower, right? That they're schools- living in. The school, the weak sisters up north are the ones that got us. And there is a lot of anger here to the point that the conference dissolves uh, two years later, like a year and a half later and reforms as the American, the West American 
Athletics Western Conference, something like that. Let me find the actual name of it before I start talking out of my ass. They reform as the the AWU, the American Association of Western Universities, launches with Cal, UCLA, USC, and Washington as the charter members. Stanford joined during the first month, and then eventually Washington State joins in, and they get to like the six, and then they start adding in other people. By sixty by sixty four, Oregon and Oregon State come back in. And that becomes the base of the Pac-8 until 78 when Arizona, Arizona State came in as the Pac-10. This is one where the season itself is interesting, but the stuff before it, I think, is more. Because we are here, like, as a conference is imploding, and this school is eating shit because of these, like, very, I would consider them harsh penalties. Especially to Levy right before the season starts. Yeah, but I also refuse to feel bad for Stanford for uh, USC football ever, so I don't care. Oh man, because emotion, I just I won't deal with that. I'm trying to figure out like what USC would be drinking instead of where the whiskey drowns and the beer chases. Like, wh- what would it be for like USC I don't instead? Know. Like, you know, because they're back they're, in that day. They're saying oh. like you know, <laughs> Stanford's living <laughs> high in that ivory tower that you were living in. It's like. Uh, I do want to share with you guys, and I'll drop it in chat. Maybe my favorite picture I've ever seen in any of these yearbooks. This is from the Cal game. And this is... Nice. QB Tom Modlin, fire pass to Donnie Voin, and uh, with Tony Ortega having a very timely block. And it is one of the most beautiful football pictures. One, the quarterback is in the air, oh. like almost en point, like with a leg out, <laughs> throwing a pass. The Cal defender has just been trucked and is in the air falling forward. It's great. Oh, this is incredible. Isn't it amazing? Uh, They have a larger version. I'll post that in the chat too. Because it's so good. It was like the cover of the athletic section. I mean, I I wouldn't. Incredibly balletic. Seriously, I I definitely. Paging our friend Art, but make it sports. Art, but Uh, make it sports in 1957. uh, Because here's the cover of their yearbook page for this part. It's great. Like it is just a beautiful picture. I will say that their photography folks were really good. There are some great shots in here that I'll post along with this episode. They had to do something, I guess, uh, to give you the idea about how, about how rough the season was going. I'm going to drop a picture of the crowd from the Wazoo game that they lost 13, 12 in the Coliseum. Mm. You can see the crowd shot there. Not a lot of people showing up for that one. Oh. Not at all. I also learned that while UCLA and USC were sharing the Coliseum, because they did that until like the seventies, I think, uh, before UCLA went to the moved to the Rose Bowl, they had first and second scheduling priorities over the uh, LA Rams, <laughs> which is always good. Oh boy! Yep. So this season, like I said, is not so much as fascinating for what's going on as opposed to what went on off the field with this conference. This is sort of, you know, we see history repeats itself. What's it's that it's that fucking gif of of George George Lucas I like to post. It's like poetry; it rhymes. Mm-hmm. That's that's this over and over again. We are in a cycle. That I've been watching rewatching Battlestar Galactica. All this has happened before, and it will happen again. This is like there's one seventy year old booster who has just been waiting, waiting to pay back the ivory tower schools. Mm-hmm. 
We need to tell Stanford and Cal to get fucked. Is that's right? <laughs> yep, yep. Slowly, like making his billions, and then getting USC into the Big Ten. <laughs> I, I will say that the other big fuck you to UCLA because at least if they were like UCLA and SC were like getting along at this point because they both wanted out. But if you look at this picture of the UCLA placard here, like the cards they all held up, you'll in the crowd you'll see a little SC in the corner. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful. So where does SC go after this? They, like I said, within two years, the first year of the new conference, they are back to being eight and two. But at that point, like Don Clark is done. In fact, he's he stops coaching at all. Like he's he's out. And he basically goes and runs uh the family business. Something called Prudential Overall Supply, which sold overalls and helped apparently sterilize gas masks in the 40s. And that's what he does the rest of his life. Uh, He was in California, died in Huntington Beach after a a heart attack while jogging, had eight kids, 24 grandkids. Uh, The SC program after that. So they pick another assistant, John McKay. And John McKay was a player at Purdue and at Oregon. Yeah, he was in favor of his team's execution. I remember them. And then... With the Buccaneers. (laughs) About to say. So he coaches at SC for 15 years, goes to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight Rose Bowls, four national titles, and then fucks off to be the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And not the fun Buccaneers, the 70s and 80s Buccaneers. So... Yeah, good choice, I guess. Yeah the the John McKay, uh, I when when asked about his team's execution, he responded, "I'm in favor of it," and that it was the line that Brian <laughs> Kelly tried to imitate uh, and failed spectacularly when they have, they beat Florida State. Have there ever been fun Buccaneers? Yes, when the Super Bowl. Yeah. Oh, I guess Twice. I don't know. It's just like as a franchise, it doesn't strike a lot of confidence Dude, I, I look before the saints were in the same division as the buccaneers i loved like mike allstott mm-hmm. i mean for god's sakes like mike allstott on like madden just fullback dive and just like plowing people for like nine yards and ignoring the crap out of my 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 college friends it was amazing uh yeah th- th- those were fun buccaneers for me personally um you know there, there was good times, and then you know, I would, I you know, Tony Dungy, not not so much fun, but otherwise, the rest of the Buccaneers pretty fun. Uh, this this Buccaneers stretch, by the way, the years he was there, he went forty four eighty eight and one for a winning percentage of thirty three percent, which you could do in the NFL back in the day. That was okay. So that is the nineteen fifty seven Troy Trojans. Troy Trojans, God damn it! I, they got in you. Every, they guys, got you. In, every, in, in all the newspapers, it's just Troy. Every single headline is Troy. Troy. Sorry, Everyone, Troy, Alabama. You know, maybe they were hoping they would get their players back if they were kind of in the witness protection program. I, I guess, but anyways, this is what happens. I assume that the school newspaper goes on to complain about other things in the future. SE keeps cheating. That's why they win their national titles because they cheat. All right, I'm kidding. I, can, I'm kidding. I think I can make this work if you you picture the dude as a USC fan, the dude from you know the Big Lebowski, Lebowski? as a USC yeah. fan, 
That's right. So, I mean, you could change the lyrics where the whiskey drowns. Uh, you could say where the white Russians drown and the IPA chases mm. instead. They were doing IPAs back in the 50s. Everyone was just drinking, bur- drinking whiskey, okay. scotch. Martinis, oh, maybe. I mean, what chases a, a white Russian, though, you know? Oh, just like back you can in say time. beer. You know? I'm trying to figure out, like, the the best alcoholic drinks that you could ever have in, like, the 1950s. <laughs> 1950s cocktails. Yeah, these 19, are all gonna, These are all. I am over the age of 21. I am. 1950s. Pina Colada Mai Tai. Oh, this was like, this was this Tiki Revival. Oh, one. yeah, this is like Tiki time. Yeah. Okay, so he was absolutely drinking like fucking giant Mai Tais. There, no, actually, there's no way he was drinking Mai Tais. It was, it was martinis and it was just like straight gin. <laughs> okay, folks, that's all I got for tonight. I hope everyone enjoyed hearing about the 57 Troy, Troj- Troy Trojans. I'm going to do this. <laughs> yes, I really did enjoy listening about the Troy Trojans, Jordan. How dare, how dare. Stanford be living high in that ivory tower. <laughs> we will talk. We will talk to you guys. Because the Trojans got friends in low places. <laughs> White rushes.